Well, again, it's so great to uh, be able to welcome you here this morning to Christ Community Church. I'm Nathan, one of the pastors. It's always uh, such a delight for us to be able to gather together to sing his praises. Uh, even this morning as we were preparing for this time, just thinking about, you know, we are all called with all of our lives and everything we do to worship. Um, that, that's part of what ought to define us. It's why we exist. And yet there's something so unique, something so beautiful about when we uh, gather together to celebrate um, in this place. And so uh, just so glad that you are, are here with us. Well, as we, as we begin our, our time together, I want to start with a little uh, class participation, okay? Um, just, just for a moment here. Um, as you think about the good life, okay, I'll even write that up here, the good life. What are some, some words or images that come to mind? And I'm not, I'm not looking for, you know, particularly churchy answers. Uh, just, just anything. What comes to your mind when you think about the good life? Okay, money and family, I think I heard. Mm-hmm. Family, especially, you know, when, it's, when it works, right? When it's good, <laughs> Right? When it's good. We sh- I mean, in our culture, we got, you know, you just never know, right? Family can be a lot of pain, too. What else? Food. food. Okay. Amen. <laughs> food. Hallelujah. What else we got? Easy. Okay. I heard easy, maybe? No. Easy. Okay. Health and sleep, I think I heard. Okay. We better, we better stop there. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of things, right? Um, health. Uh, Sleep. I mean, we could add, you know, laughter. Um, I mean, really, it's just lot, lots of things, right? Okay. Uh, keep, keep those different ideas in your mind. What, now, what, what about sort of on the other end? Um, when you think about disappointment, like what about life disappoints you? Okay. That's right. So worry, absolutely. Money. Yeah, family when it's not so good. <laughs> Reality, okay. Sickness. War. Okay. That was, that was fast. That was even quicker than the good life stuff, man. You guys are depressing. Anything else? Okay. The Royals. That's fair. That's fair. Why not? Royals and a lot of sports teams at, at times. Okay, now, okay, one, one more question, class. Uh, given the choice of which side of the board to live on, what would you pick? That one. You know, with, without a doubt, right? I mean, it, nobody in their right mind would say, you know, this is, this is where, boy, I'd like, to, I'd like to spend some more time here, right? You'd have to be crazy, wouldn't you, to say that that this is better than this? You'd have to be insane, wouldn't you? Our scripture this morning comes from Luke chapter 6. Read from verses 12 through 26. In these days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he called 
named Peter and Andrew, his brother, and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured and all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and healed them all. And Jesus lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets." But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That's a little bit of a different take on it, isn't it? Woe to the rich. Too bad for the satisfied. Too bad for those who laugh. Too bad for those who have their life all together. Too bad for the well-liked. I mean, it sure must be tough to find yourself In this column, Jesus says, Ah, but for those who are disappointed, blessed are the poor, the hungry, the lonely, and the sad. Blessed. It's not really a word we use much, right? But in the Greek, it just means happy. That's the translation. Happier are the ones whose lives are messy, Jesus says. Happier are the ones who can't fix their own problems. Blessed are the inadequate, the depressed, the alone. Blessed are the disappointed, he says. It's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, is there anything worse than raw, unfiltered disappointment? We've all been there. I mean, kids, you, you know this, right? You learn this lesson early on, don't you? That, that people, you know, friends and uh, siblings and teachers and coaches and parents all at some point will let you down, right? You, well, you don't get what you were hoping for, what you were longing for, and you feel disappointed. It doesn't take long to begin learning those lessons, and the stakes just keep getting higher. I mean, I can remember back my, my senior year of high school, actually it was the, the summer before my senior year, uh, when all of my, my closest friends decided they didn't want to be my friends anymore. And, and so I began my, my senior year, you know, what should have been like, you know, exciting, full of anticipation, you know, whatever. I began bitter, I mean, depressed, and just 
flat out alone. I mean, that, that was this disappointment. That was 16 years ago. And still those, those memories, right? The, the, the feeling of loneliness crashes over me. I mean, do you know that, right? The, the agony of, of disappointment, the brutality, right? That it could sometimes be, blessed are the disappointed. Mistakes just keep getting higher, don't they? I've, I've talked with, with many of you, prayed with you, cried with you. And for, for some of you, your life to you, from your perspective, it feels like one long series of disappointments, doesn't it? Your upbringing, to, to your, your school situation, may, maybe your, your work or your income, your, your health. For some, your marriage or your singleness, your children or your lack of children. And the weight of disappointment is nearly crushing, isn't it? Blessed are the disappointed. Feels kind of like a load of garbage, doesn't it? We wouldn't actually, you know, say that, right? Because we just know that Jesus said that. But deep down, right? Isn't that what we feel? You've got to be kidding me, Jesus. I mean, what, what are you thinking? How can you possibly say something so ridiculous, so shocking, so revolutionary? Well, we better do some work here, huh? Because it, it seems pretty clear that our values, our definition of the good life is the dead opposite of Jesus. You see, Jesus turns this world upside down. His kingdom, his kingdom is, is where his ideal flourishes. His kingdom is unlike any other kingdom. I mean, who else would possibly say that this is better than, than this? So what's, what's going on here? Now, we've, we've got to set the context a little bit. Now, we're in the midst of, together, kind of doing a a quick flyover of the life of Christ. Just six weeks, six messages here. Many of us reading along, right? A lot of you read Luke this week. This is our second message here in the Gospels, tracking out just a a brief sort of history of the life of, of Jesus. And this particular sermon, it's often referred to as the Beatitudes, right? This sermon of Jesus, um, called the Beatitudes, uh, is considered to be kind of his stump speech, you know, his sort of his go-to message, his most character, characteristic sermon of, of who he is. Uh, you can find it in Luke chapter 6. That's where we're going to be looking. Uh, it's also found or a similar version in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, but this, this is the Beatitudes. So, so just picture what's happening here, okay? Jesus in Luke, he's just called his disciples. We read that part. And so these, these 12 guys are brand new at following him. They don't, they don't know what they've gotten into at this point, okay? But they've, they've left everything. Their careers, their, their comfort, right? They have left all of it to follow this strange rabbi from Nazareth. And this particular day, the crowds are all swarming in around Jesus, and he's, he's healing them left and right. I mean, it couldn't, it couldn't be a better scene in many ways. It's, it's exciting. This is still early on in Jesus' ministry when, when his approval ratings were still skyrocketing, right? He, he's Mr. Popular still. So he's healing them, and it's exciting, and, and all of this is happening. And then Luke tells us in 6 verse 20 that Jesus looks up, and he looks at his disciples And he basically says, don't get used to this. It's not always going to be this way. 
This, this, this isn't exactly what you guys signed up for. No, blessed are the poor, the hungry, the sad, the hated. That's the path you've chosen. The path of disappointment. And woe to everybody else. It's radical, isn't it? Shocking. We need, we need to get to, to the bottom of this. So let's, let's ask three questions of this sermon here of Jesus's. First question, what's so terrible about having it all together? Second, what's so great about disappointment? And third, how do we live in this upside down kingdom? As we jump into this text Let's just quickly pause here and ask God to help us. Lord Jesus, give us a heart that's quick to listen and to obey. Lord Jesus, help us understand your word and help us to find our place, our home, our life, our joy in your kingdom, not ours. Guide us now, we pray. Amen. First, what's so terrible about having it all together? Why all the woes, Jesus? Let's start with the woes. Seems better that way. Let's be honest. His list kind of sounds fairly descriptive of us, doesn't it? Let me read it again, verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did the false prophets. Hmm. Okay, interesting. You know, by the world's standards, I'm rich, right? All of us are. Um, I've never been hungry. Never, ever actually hungry. I probably laugh a whole lot more than I weep. And at least to my knowledge, I think generally speaking, most people speak well of me. I'm satisfied. What's, what's wrong with that, right? What's, what's wrong with being satisfied? Nothing. Nothing in and of itself, but here's the deal. The satisfied can so easily just look to themselves. The satisfied don't need anything. I often believe I don't need anything. This, this kind of reminds me, this, this opening part of, of Jesus' sermon here, the, the woes part, the beginning, kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Fiddler on the Roof, this, this little scene in there. Um, two men are sort of arguing about money. I don't know if you've seen it or not. They're, they're talking about money, and one of them finally says, money is a curse, uh, to which Tevia, the main character, then says, what, a, a curse? Well, then may God smite me with it, and may I never recover. I mean, that, that's... That's kind of how we approach it, isn't it? And we, we know that money comes with some liabilities, don't, don't we? we? We've all, we can tell stories, right, of, of, of people who have been ruined by money. Individuals, families, institutions, churches, people we know ruined by money. But it's a risk we're all willing to take, isn't it? I mean, be honest, isn't it? It's not going to happen to us, just maybe to them. 
What's, what's wrong with riches anyway, right? What's the big deal about wealth? Well, nothing in and of itself is wrong with them, with having a lot. Except that the rich are self-trained to rely on no one but themselves to fix their problems. I am trained to rely on no one but myself to fix my problems. And I, I even have this, this little... I, you know, personal philosophy. It doesn't always work out that way, but at least a goal. Like when I'm, when I'm going through problems in my life and my situation, uh, kind of have this goal to, to not stress out about things that are money-related, th- problems that money can fix. Okay? It doesn't always work out that way, right? We get consumed with these things. But really, if you think about it, if you can fix it with money, it's not actually a problem, right? Assuming, of course, that you have the money, right? But just stop for a moment and think about how many of your problems or potential problems in the last couple of weeks you've been able to fix by pulling a piece of plastic out, out of your pocket? Right? I mean, the majority, isn't it? You know, you, your car breaks down, you take it to the shop. Your kid falls behind in school, you hire a tutor, you feel a little bit sick, go to the doctor. You need a break, you're tired out, we'll go on vacation. I am conditioned to rely on no one but me to fix my problems. Over and over and over again. And then suddenly I encounter a problem in which money can't fix. You know, like difficulty with a child or a broken relationship. The weight of your own regret or cancer. And we still almost like reach into our pocket and pull out the plastic. I mean, it's like muscle memory, right? A problem. We just, you know, you just can't help but kind of lunge for it. And then all of a sudden we realize, well, now who do I depend on? Now who do I trust? It's really, in, in many ways, the same idea with all of these that Jesus is, is going through, his, his little list. I mean, it's the same idea of being well-fed. I mean, what's, what's so great about being hungry? I have no idea. I, I've never once been hungry. But just think about for a moment, I mean, we, we very rarely stop to think about this, but just think about the context of human history, how unusual it is that in a room this size, probably... Probably none of us, maybe a couple, have ever known true hunger. The majority of the people who have ever lived on planet Earth have had moments in their lives when they had no idea where the next meal was coming from. And still a billion people today, and we have Weight Watchers. We have no idea what it's like to be hungry. But imagine for a moment, imagine if you hadn't eaten in days and you're watching your own children shrivel crying themselves to sleep because they're hungry. Imagine the dependence, the desperation, how often you would cry out to God, give us this day our daily bread, and how grateful you would be when he actually did. What's wrong with being full? Nothing except full people don't need anything. We're satisfied it's the same with those who laugh. It's the same with those who are popular and, and well-liked, Jesus is saying. You see, we, we tend to treat trust like it's a bicycle. 
I mean, it's a great thing about a bike, right? Once you learn, it doesn't matter how long it's been, how rusty the bike has gotten. You can keep it hidden away in the shed. And when you need it, right, you can pull it out and you can start riding. That's, that's often how we approach trust, but that's, that's not what trust is. Trust is much more like long-distance running. And for some of us, we haven't trained in weeks, months, maybe years. Some of us, life has been so good. Maybe you've, you've never had to actually train for this. And you think when the moment comes to start running that you'll be able to. It ain't happening. The satisfied those who have life together, who have it all figured out, use trust just, just like that, like it's a bike. And we, we expect that God is just, he's gonna be there when we need him and that we're gonna have the skill to actually be able to trust him. But truth be told, you haven't depended on him for anything in ages. What's to make you think you will then? For the poor, the down and out, the ones who are disappointed, whose life is, is constantly a stream of messiness. It's not that they have it all figured out. They're just more likely to be dependent. I mean, their life itself is a daily jog, right? A, a continual training and endurance over and over again of the, of the messy lives forced to rely on someone other than themselves. Maybe, just maybe when the race comes, they'll be ready. Jesus is saying, if your life looks perfect, looks happy, satisfied, then too bad for you. Because all you ever do is look for yourself. You're your own God, your own Savior. Why would you need Jesus? What's wrong with having it all together? People with it all together don't need Jesus. At least they don't think they do. And that's a problem. Woe to me. Woe to you. But what's so great about disappointment? What's, what's so great about this list? I mean, especially since these are, these are the kind of things that, that we will do just about anything to avoid, right? I mean, Jesus... What, you're kidding. Verse, verse 20, he says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile against you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Yeah, I mean, you know, sign me up for that, right? But do you see the difference? It's not, it's not that God, you know, loves the poor more than he loves the rich, right? Or that he loves those with, with problems more than those who, who have it all together. It's that the poor, by definition, are dependent. They have, they have no choice but to be dependent. They know that they cannot save themselves. And, and the hungry, I mean, the hungry, think about it. The hungry will do anything to be filled. They don't, they don't care how much they have to humble themselves. If you're truly hungry, there is nothing you won't do to be fed. And the sad I mean, just, just think of it this way. I, I, I tend to be the kind of person, um, I, don't, I don't like to accept help from anybody. I mean, just truthfully. I hate it, in fact. I, hate is probably not a strong enough word. And, and fundamentally, that, that's because I'm, I'm so proud, right? I'm, I'm arrogant. I, I think I don't need anybody. I can do it myself. I can take care of my problems and my family 
thank you very much, okay? That, that's, that's often how I live. But if I imagine all of what I have being stripped away, I mean, every bit of it, and I, I picture myself with kids who are cold and hungry and sick, I mean, pride is dead in that moment. I, what wouldn't I do? At that point, who wouldn't I depend on? Where wouldn't I look for mercy and for rescue? And the sad, the sad understand the misery of this fallen world. The sad can't help but hope for a better world. The happy, right? The self-satisfied. I mean, why would you look forward to heaven? You're fine right here. And the despised, who doesn't love their reputation? I mean, we all do. It's one of the most precious things that we could possibly possess. But if you are universally hated by everyone, by all the people around you, you have no choice but to find your approval elsewhere. No choice but to look elsewhere. You just don't have a leg to stand on in that moment. So what's so great about disappointment? I mean, nothing inherently, right? It's painful. It's terrible. We, we hate it. We long to avoid it. There's nothing to, except this. The, the disappointed have no choice but to look elsewhere for satisfaction. No choice. I mean, these folks, right, on, on, on this side, they don't really need anything, but the disappointed need everything. The disappointed need Jesus. And Jesus says, blessed are the disappointed How do we do it? How do we possibly live in a kingdom so upside down, right? Follow a Jesus who so reverses all of our values, all the things that we hold most dear. How do we do it? And in some ways, I think it's even harder, particularly with the passage like this, because I feel it on both sides, Frankly, I mean, I, I, I feel on the one hand, I, I've got my life together. And most of us here, at least on the outside, right? We've got it together. We're in control of our, of our situations and, and we feel that way. And we're, you know, we're happy enough. And at least on the outside, it all looks great. But the reality is God doesn't waste his time with people who think they already have it figured out. Woe to me. I mean, do we, do we hear God's warning, Jesus' warning to us in our self-satisfied stupor? On the other hand, I mean, who here doesn't also carry deep disappointment, right? I mean, the, the regrets of, of, of choices we've made or, or situations, around, the sorrow, the, 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 the agony of loneliness. I mean, all of this, we, we've all been disappointed. It, it may not be poverty or hunger for us. But life isn't exactly how you'd planned. And that doesn't feel particularly blessed, does it? So how do we live in this upside-down kingdom? Well, if you're satisfied, or when you're satisfied, I guess, is probably more appropriate for all of us. If, when you find yourself in the has-life-all-figured-out category, you'd better learn to be disappointed. Learn to be disappointed. Because if, 
if you're not disappointed by this broken world, then you do not share God's vision for this world. You don't understand the story. If you are completely satisfied with your life and the situation of others around, you're missing it. You don't see what God is trying to do with this story. And frankly, if this is us, we have a high view, an awfully high view of ourselves. Jesus says, woe to you, for you have already received the very best you will ever get, he says. And just as Tim reminded us last week as we looked at the birth of Christ, you can only encounter God from a position of need. It's the only way. How do we learn to be disappointed? Well, for starters, and this might be disappointing for some of us, but it begins by being more aware of God's grace in our lives. I think in many ways, the problem, at least, at least for myself, the problem with having it all together is that we quickly assume that we deserve to have it all together, right? I mean, we work hard, or we, we studied hard, we, we, we've done everything that we possibly could, and we live decent enough lives, and so God kind of, he, he owes it to us, right? And, and the people with the messy situations, well, that's, it's got to be somehow their fault, Right? God wants nothing to do with such arrogance. Nothing. I mean, just, you got to stop and think. I mean, all of that is grace. Every bit of it, we, we, we refuse to believe it. I, I hate thinking about it because I want to I be smart enough. And I want to be strong enough. And I want to have it all on my own. But the reality, God gave me everything. He gave me my intellect. He gave me my family. He gave me my, my job. All of this, anything good in our lives is a gift of his grace, no matter how much you think you've earned it. It is, it is grace. I mean, even just stop and think. Do you ever, do you ever wonder why you were born in the most affluent culture in the history of the universe? Why you were? I mean, why wasn't I born in the slums of India, right? Why, was, why wasn't I born an AIDS baby in Africa? Or even just 4,000 years ago when everybody just was, was barely trying to survive, why? Grace? Just grace? Everything that I have, everything that I am, You see, the reality is I tend to blame God for everything bad in my life. And I tend to take credit for everything good. Don't we? But it's all his grace. Choose to see it for what it is and be thankful for it. Besides, the reality is even though most of us will never see true material poverty, I mean, it's probably just not going to be part of any of our stories or the majority of our stories, and yet don't you see the, the spiritual poverty, which is so much starker, that lives within our hearts? That I, that I have nothing to offer the God who made me. Nothing. Nothing to, to commend myself to him, to, to earn my way to him, and yet he still loves me. I and mean, that is a poverty way more desperate than welfare, that we are the ones in need, we are the desperate, we are the poor before our God. Don't waste what God has given you. It's all grace. And in our self-righteous independence, you might find that completely disappointing. That's okay. Blessed are the disappointed. On the other end, if you're disappointed, or again, maybe more when you're disappointed. 
when, when you're feeling that, that pain, whatever, whatever it is, you find yourself in this list. Learn to be blessed. Learn to be blessed. Because really it's the same. We also need to choose to see God's grace in our situations. I mean, if you're here, right? If you're on this side, believe it or not, this is good news. It doesn't sound like good news. It doesn't, doesn't feel like good news. It doesn't feel anything positive at all. And yet, people with it all together don't, don't need Jesus, so they think. But you know you do. Did you ever thank him that he has made it so obvious in your life? In those, those moments of pain, of disappointment, when you're, when you're just desperate for anyone to, to offer kindness or comfort, do you, do you thank Jesus for making it clear that you need him? I mean, have you ever looked at your disappointments from that angle? I mean, whatever it is, your, your depression, your unemployment or underemployment, your loneliness, your difficult marriage, even, even when it hurts? Have, have you ever thought that that was maybe God's way of drawing you to him? That those struggles just maybe could be his grace? I mean, think about that for a second. If you didn't struggle with blank, if you didn't have blank issue in your life, whatever it is, would you even be here this morning? Would you even know that you need Jesus. I mean, go back, go back to my senior year of high school. I can't tell you how, how difficult that was, right? This, the, the loneliness and uh, frustration, the sense of betrayal, you know, walking in my senior year and, and, and all of that. And, and I would never in that moment have said, that was God's grace in my life. No way, right? More like an act of cruelty. I didn't, I didn't see that at all. And yet, believe it or not, I mean, if I hadn't gone through that, I'm not sure I would have ever truly encountered Jesus. Because by, by November of that year, I was, I was at the end of my rope, lonely, depressed, just utterly alone. That was painful to go through. And yet, it was in those moments, you know, of having tried everything else, trying to figure out what, whatever. I mean, I had nothing at that moment, and it may sound insignificant, but it wasn't to me that, that disappointment, the betrayal. And yet looking back, I mean, I grew up in church. I knew all the right answers, but I had never really been, been serious about faith, right? I think in some ways life had just been too easy up to that point. But now looking back in hindsight and only in hindsight, I praise God that those friends abandoned me. I thank him that, that they did. And I'm, not, I'm not excusing uh, their wrong or minimizing my own pain, but it's clear that that was God's grace in my life. Because I had tried everything, and I thought, well, maybe I'll try Jesus for a while. 16 years later, I praise God for that. Friends, don't waste what God has given you. Even, even when it hurts. I mean, I know, I know how easy it is to, to grow bitter or to, to run from him in your disappointment, but maybe, just maybe, he's got something even better for you in the midst of it all. So if you've got it all together, which in many ways is all of us, right? We, we look like we've got it together. Be warned. 
be warned, you are at risk. Be careful. And if on the other side, you're here this morning filled with disappointment, I mean, hear this with compassion. Okay, I, don't, I don't want to minimize the pain that you've experienced. Make light of it in any way. I mean, I, I will cry with you if you will let me. I promise you that. And yet I believe if, if Jesus was here in our context saying these same things to us today, I, he, would, he would certainly not lay off with the, the woe to the rich and the, the comfort and the, all, everything that we have. He, he wouldn't minimize that. But I think, he would, I think he'd press into the disappointments that we experience. I, I think he'd say, blessed are you. Blessed are you if your marriage is just painful. Or, or if you're single and you wish so bad you were married. Blessed are you because you have no choice no choice but to find God as your spouse. Blessed, blessed are you if your upbringing was the worst, if, if your parents were, were terrible. Blessed are you because God longs to be your father. Blessed are you if you're lonely, desperately lonely. It was in my loneliness that I began to look at Jesus as a friend and his people as my brothers and sisters. Blessed are you if you're depressed. You have no choice but to wait for him. Blessed are you if you're in physical pain daily. I know some of you are. I can't imagine how difficult that must be. But blessed are you for Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Blessed are you if you're weighed down with regrets. Because only Jesus can release us from the shame that we have. Blessed are the disappointed. For the disappointed know they need a rescuer. And it hurts. And I don't like it. But friends, I love this about Jesus. Because Jesus never asked us to endure something he was unwilling to endure himself. I mean, just... Think about him for a moment. Look, look at his life. I mean, talk about a disappointment, right? I mean, I mean, here he is leaving heaven to come on earth. He was born in poverty, lived in poverty, died in poverty. As far as we know, his, his father died at some point in his life. I mean, Joseph is nowhere mentioned when he's an adult. And so he had at least at some point only one parent in the home had to deal with that. Never married. We don't often think about that, but imagine the shame of being a 30-year-old Jew in the first century, male and unmarried. Never had a family. He was popular for like five minutes, right? And only because he, he fed the, the, the hungry and he healed the sick. And as soon as the show was over, they all shouted, crucify him. And even his friends, I mean, think about this, right? He spends three years pouring into 12 men, his disciples. One would betray him, another would deny him, and every one of them would abandon him in his hour of need. They would run scared. Talk about a disappointment despised, rejected, mocked as a false king, convicted in a sham trial. I mean, think about that. The only innocent person who's ever lived found guilty and executed between two thieves. Even our heavenly father, even his heavenly father abandoned him as he bore the weight of my sins. Blessed are the crucified. But he did it for us. 
did it to free us from the tyranny of self-righteous, self-dependence, independence, self-centered living to, to give us hope and to move us out of that. And he, and he did it to free us from the disappointment that we so often find ourselves just absolutely immersed in. To give us hope that those things will not have the last word so that we together can say with hope, with joy, even with tears, right? Even in the midst of pain, that yes, we believe it. We, we hold on to it, yes. Blessed are the disappointed. For ours is the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, be gracious to us. God, I know as I look at my own life, I look at these, this, this sermon of yours, and I see both the, the woes and the blessings, and I find deep brokenness in myself on both sides. God, I'm so comfortable, so self-centered, and so self-righteous, independent, God. How quickly I forget about you. And at the same time, God, I, there's so many things that disappoint me that rob me of joy. God, I pray that you would hold us close to you. That you would be our joy, our, our life, our satisfaction. God, that you would allow uh, even, that you would allow it to be possible in us that even these painful things that we all experience would draw us to you. And protect us from being callous, Lord. We ask these things for the glory of your great name, our Savior, our Redeemer. Lord Jesus, we trust in you. Amen.